Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we will discover what Jesus meant when he said for us to enter the kingdom. The arrival of the Messiah and his death and resurrection is unquestionably the most significant event in human history. Yeshua, Jesus, the Son of God, was born of a woman, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He lived a perfect and sinless life, and in God's time, He gave his life to atone for the sins of humanity. Yeshua was crucified, buried, and on the third day rose from the grave. And 40 days later, he ascended to heaven to the right hand of the Father. Ten days after that, God poured out his spirit upon all flesh and the church was born. For those who believe, we are promised to be resurrected or raptured at the return of Christ, the next most significant event in human history. We are going to heaven. And for those who reject Christ, they will be judged by God and will go to hell. Now, what I just described is how most Christians view the gospel. And while there's much truth in this theological viewpoint, it does not represent an accurate portrayal of the kingdom of God. Let me explain. We are not actually going to heaven. Jesus said we will be entering the kingdom. But isn't that the same thing? Well, not exactly. Going to heaven or hell implies that we will be leaving the earth one day and going somewhere else. If we go to heaven, we end up in an ethereal place in the clouds where we can fly around like angels and relax to our heart's content for eternity. And if we go to hell, we will drop into an abyss at the center of the earth that burns with fire and brimstone to be tormented forever. Leaving the earth implies that heaven and earth are two separate places or dimensions. But as we read in Genesis, this separation did not exist at the beginning. Genesis 3, it says, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the Garden of Eden, in the cool of the day. So the division between heaven and earth appears to have come about later because of Adam and Eve's sin. And we know that God will not dwell in the presence of anything unclean or unholy. So therefore God has concealed himself from the creation, as we read in Genesis 4, Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. And one more detail. Let's presume the earth is the physical realm and the heaven is the spiritual one. Well, in that case, going to heaven means that we will leave the natural realm and exist for eternity in a spiritual state. If this were true, then why was Jesus resurrected into a physical body with flesh and bones? I find it interesting that Yeshua never said the words, go to heaven. He did say once in Luke 23, today you will be with me in paradise. But more than 16 times in the Gospels, he said for us to receive or enter the kingdom, implying that heaven is coming to us. Most of Yeshua's discourses and parables were about the kingdom of God, and he preached to Israel about it, declaring that the kingdom was at hand 
meaning God's kingdom had arrived and is present with us here on earth. So therefore, going to heaven is not the same as entering the kingdom. The Bible communicates a different narrative than what we believe or understand. And again, Yeshua never said that we were going to leave the earth. On the contrary, heaven is going to invade it. God incarnate came from heaven to earth to tell us about his soon coming kingdom. And he is returning quickly to establish it, which will be the union of heaven and earth. So therefore, Yeshua taught us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, for a moment, yes, we will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. But we are not staying there. Yeshua is returning here, and we are coming with him. As we read in Zechariah 14, it says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. Yeshua will return to the earth on that day, and all the saints, the church, will be with him here on earth forever. There's another crucial detail to highlight in the story. Yeshua said in Matthew 15, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, presuming we correlate the statement with the declaration of the gospel, In that case, we begin to understand that the arrival of Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, fulfilled God's promise that he would establish his kingdom through her. We read in Isaiah 49, And now the Lord says, Who formed me, meaning Christ, from the womb, to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. In an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you, Jesus, Yeshua, as a covenant to the people, to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. The reuniting of heaven and earth, hence the restoration of creation in God's kingdom, began with Israel and it culminates with her. Yeshua said in John 4, We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. And the Apostle John declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeshua is the Lamb of God who fulfilled the law of Moses given to Israel, the law of sacrifice and atonement, and the law of sin and death. So through the Old Covenant, God established his tabernacle in Israel, providing a temporary covering for sin so that he could dwell with his people. God's presence was concealed within the Holy of Holies, and for a season, heaven invaded the small portion of the creation. At the crucifixion, God's presence broke through the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from his creation. The work of God's atonement was thereby transferred to the cross, where Christ would propitiate for the sins of all humanity. On the day of Pentecost, known as Shavuot, 
the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. And now for every person, Jew and Gentile, who believes and confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the kingdom of God has taken up residence in our hearts. The king has come, and now the kingdom also. But the kingdom is not fully established on earth. Not yet. We are reminded that the Gentiles, the nations, have been brought into this continuing and unfolding story of God's redemption for his people, Israel. But the story did not begin with Yeshua. It started with Abraham. We read in Romans 4, Therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, to the Jewish people, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Paul said that the promise of the Messiah would come from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, who was renamed Israel. And for this reason, Paul said in Romans 9, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Paul then expands this story of the kingdom to now include the Gentiles. He goes on to say in Romans 11, And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. And in Ephesians 3, he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. The cultivated olive tree is a picture of the kingdom of God. It belongs to Israel, but now it also belongs to those of the nations who have been grafted into her. At the very heart of God's kingdom is the land of Israel and his holy city, Jerusalem. And this land was promised to the natural descendants of Abraham. While the inheritance of this land has been challenged for centuries, it is arguably one of the best cases for an earthly kingdom. Otherwise, why would Satan be fighting so hard to resist it? Rabbi Tzvi Freeman made this revelatory statement about the land of Israel, saying, The nations cannot understand why the Jewish people should have a land. If it is God and scriptures in heaven that you are all about, they claim, then why do you want a piece of earth? Is God in a place? Will you find God in settling land and governing a country in defending it? Make up your mind. Is it heaven you want or earth? Those words perhaps are never said. They are quiet words engraved within the human psyche. And they are the bias behind all their contentions with us. We don't belong here on earth where they belong, playing by their rules because God is in the heavens and the earth belongs to the humankind. But this is the mission of the Jewish people, for all to see that the same God in heaven is here within the earth, within all the endeavors of humankind, for there is nothing else but him, beginning with that specific, well-defined, very special piece of earth to which our destiny is tied. Now, that is a significant revelation where Rabbi Tzvi 
is saying again, quote, But this is the mission of the Jewish people, for all to see that the same God in heaven is here within the earth, within all the endeavors of humankind. In other words, God's faithfulness to give the land of Israel to the descendants of Abraham is an absolute truth of God's kingdom. And it will be established here on earth for all eternity as it is already established in the heavenly spiritual realm. And we, the Jewish people, are but a mere revelation of God's faithfulness. And thus our very words testify of who he is, as Yeshua said in Acts 1, You shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it is our irrevocable calling to preach the gospel of Christ and his kingdom in all the earth. But the inheritance of the land is not exclusively for the nation of Israel. We read in Psalm 2, it says, Ask of me, and I will give you, meaning Christ, the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. Christ will ultimately take possession of the entire creation, his creation. As we read in Revelation 11, it says, The kingdoms of this physical world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so now we have returned full circle back to the gospel, specifically the gospel of the kingdom. And this is the good news that God has come to us. God has visited and redeemed his people. As we read in Luke 1, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And for this reason, Yeshua declared in Mark 1, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So God is restoring the entire creation to himself to the perfect conditions in the Garden of Eden. And day by day, the kingdom of God is advancing, one heart at a time, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. And once the kingdom is fully established in the creation, nothing unclean may enter it. As we read in Revelation 21, it says, But there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so it is not that God sends people to hell. He simply denies their entry into his kingdom. And those who are rejected or denied entry are cast out of the kingdom to a place outside of the creation. As we read in Matthew 25, it says, And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, not heaven and hell, and it was perfect. But hell is more than just a place. It is a condition state of wickedness that exists within the creation because of humanity's sinful nature. It has become a temporary holding place for those awaiting God's judgment. As we read in 2 Peter chapter 2, it says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. 
The final judgment is the casting out of God's kingdom of all who reject Jesus, Yeshua, as their king. As we read in Matthew 25, it says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And yet even in this dark place, God's presence is still there. As we read in Revelation 14, it says, He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Those who unite themselves to Satan's kingdom will also find themselves tormented before the Lamb. As we read in Revelation 21, it says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And as Christians, we are called to be followers and imitators, disciples of Christ. We are imperfect people, undeserving of God's mercy and forgiveness and certainly unworthy of entering his kingdom. But I'm reminded of a powerful story of transformation in the Old Testament, of David's mighty warriors. In Hebrew, they were called Giborim, the mighty ones. But these men certainly did not start out this way. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, it says, So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Abdullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented, until David was the captain of about 400 men. Men who were in trouble, in debt, or discontented. Now that sounds like a group of imperfect misfits to me. But here David serving as a type for the coming Messiah, without even trying or wanting, has attracted an unprofitable group of servants. Yeshua said in Luke 17, Does he, the master, thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Now, this might sound like a rebuke from the Lord, but listen to the words of our Savior. In Matthew 25, we read, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter where? Well, enter into the kingdom of our Lord where there is immeasurable joy. Once again, it says we will enter the kingdom of God here on earth and not leave it. And heaven and earth will unite as one. For it is written in Isaiah 66, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? His tabernacle. The house of God is his church, and the place of God's rest is among his people here on earth. Albeit in time, a new heaven and a new earth and a new creation Just as we read in Revelation 21, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. 
Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God has called us to go everywhere and share the good news of his kingdom. And not telling people incorrectly that we are going to heaven, but appropriately teaching them about the gospel of the kingdom. That being that Christ has come, he is returning soon, and we will be joining him as we enter the kingdom. Just as Yeshua said in Revelation 22, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. And what is our reward? Knowing that we are undeserving and unprofitable servants? Well, the Lord has promised to give each of us a portion of his kingdom inheritance. And these are the kingdoms of this world that are presently under the realm of darkness. In Isaiah 45, we read, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. So therefore, let us serve the Lord without ceasing in this present age. And in the age to come, let us enter the kingdom together as giborim, mighty men and women of valor. Amen. If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.